Praise the Lord. Okay, let's go to Luke 18 tonight and 1 Thessalonians 4. Luke 18, 1 Thessalonians 4. Um, this has nothing to do with the message. I was thinking this afternoon, on New Year's Day, if you're in your 90s, you will be living in, in your 11th decade. Isn't that something? You add that up? I'll be in my eighth. Eight decades. That's scary, isn't it? Really is. Get out into eternity, it won't even, won't even matter, but right now it seems to matter. So, All right, Luke 18, we've been studying together all this month the passages in the Gospels that have to do with the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we saw Sunday morning and Sunday night, the first coming guarantees the second uh, we, we're confident the Lord's coming again because everything he said about his first coming came through right on the money, and everything he said about his second coming will come through just exactly as it's written. But here the Bible says, and I need this Thessalonians passage, uh, I'll show you why in just a moment. Uh, Luke 18, verse 1, and he spake a parable unto them this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Seems like a passage on prayer, and it is but it's a passage on the second coming as well. Saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. <laughs> now just about every city has judges like that. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. 1 Thessalonians 4, don't lose the Luke passage, we'll be right back to it. Luke, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Hallelujah. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The comforting hope of the born-again believer is this passage we just read that is called the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church. It's, it, it is our blessed hope that Jesus Christ is going to come and take us out of this world. That is not the hope of God's elect. Just look and see if we have any Calvinists with us tonight. The church is not God's elect. Jesus Christ is God's elect, and one nation that God selected are His elect people. 
The reason this is important is the question Jesus asked in Luke 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? In order for you to be a participant in the rapture of the church, you must believe that Jesus died and rose again. You must put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which he accomplished for you, or you will not be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, your participating in the rapture is conditioned upon your belief. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, he will avenge his elect, he will establish his kingdom, and that requires no belief on the part of anyone. He is going to do that whether or not the recipients of the blessings believe he is coming to bless them, or those upon whom his wrath shall fall believes that he will ever come again in wrath. When the Lord asks, when I return, shall I find faith on the earth? That's a very different question or a very different statement than if you want to go up and meet me in the air, you better believe. The Lord didn't say if anybody believes, I'll come again. He said, I'm coming again. I wonder if anybody will be believing when I get here. I wonder if anyone will be expecting or anticipating my return when it takes place. To participate in the rapture, you must believe. To participate in the events surrounding the second coming of Christ, no belief is required. We'll get back to Luke in just a second. I want to read you two verses, one from the law and one from the epistles. Leviticus 19, verse number 18 says, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I am the Lord. If you were a Jew living under the law and you desired vengeance, you would have to turn that desire for vengeance over to the Lord because he told you not to execute judgment but to leave that to him. In Romans chapter number 12, the Bible says in verse number 17, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him, if he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So the Jew under the law and the Christian under grace are both told to trust God to execute vengeance upon those deserving of vengeance. That's a pretty tough thing, isn't it? Leviticus said, don't hold a grudge. That's harsh. That's, that's, that's a tough command. And Rom Romans says, just, just be good to them. Just be good to them. 
trusting that I will settle all scores correctly when the time comes to settle scores. Now, I am certain that tens of thousands, countless thousands of Israelites lived and died wondering when God would avenge them upon their enemies. Because we all think it's going to be a lot sooner than, than it turns out to be. And there's many a Christian that's lived and died waiting for God to step up and get the bad guys. And yet here we are, awaiting the Lord's return. If that rapture took place tonight, if the Lord descends from heaven with a shout tonight, and the trumpet sounds tonight, and He calls tonight, and we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air tonight, and we're ushered into the glories of the place He's gone to prepare for us, do you think that as you make your way through the door, you're going to say, Lord, what about that guy that did me wrong? Are you going to get him now? This thirst for vengeance is not going to carry over into your eternal life in heaven. This desire to see God punish the people who have hurt you, it's, it's not going to go with you into that land that is fairer than day. But there is an earthly people, and they were given earthly land, and I guess as much blood's been shed over that land as any land. Maybe Europe's competing for it now. Maybe some parts of Africa are competing for it now. But people have lived and died for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years waiting for God to settle scores. And seemingly, He doesn't settle scores. Let me read to you. I promise we're going to do the Luke passage unless I die or get raptured. I have every intention of doing the Luke passage. Revelation 6, we're in the tribulation, and, and people have died in the tribulation at the hands of evil men. And the Bible says in Revelation 6, 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw unto the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. And for the testimony which they held, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true. We're not finding any fault with you, but, but how long dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Watch this strange answer, even all the way into the tribulation. The white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Lord, so it's not time for vengeance yet because the bad guys haven't killed all the good guys yet. If I punish them now, I have to come back and do it again. I'm, I'm going to wait until they've finished all their dirty work and then I'm going to come and, and deal with it all at once. The point is from, from Scripture, that person that did you wrong last week, don't hold your breath. That person did you wrong a month ago. That person that hurt you last year. That, that thing that, that, that fell out ten years ago and hasn't yet been resolved. 
God is not operating on our timetable. If he said he would avenge the wrong, he will. Well, I want him to do it right now. Yes, yes, but I'm getting way away from our message. But Somebody wanted you dead and the Lord didn't kill you and you lived long enough to get saved. And some of those people you'd like for God to just crush them because they did you wrong, they might end up getting saved. So we preach the gospel and we go about telling people about Jesus and we don't hold the grudge and we're, we're kind to all men like Romans 12 said because God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and come to the knowledge of the truth and we try our best to side with him in that attitude and that desire. But notice in Revelation 6, even after these people have died, they still want vengeance. Interesting. There's a reason for that. Now let's go to Luke and start a Bible study for tonight. Luke chapter 18. Verse 3, there's a widow in the city. And she came to the judge. He's the one with the power to avenge her. She doesn't have the power to avenge her enemies. This judge does, and she says to the judge, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not, notice, for a while. It doesn't say that he has no intention of doing so. It just says she's praying and praying and asking and asking and praying and asking and asking and praying, and he's not making a move. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. I'm not comparing, well I am, but but I'm not pressing the point that Jesus Christ doesn't fear God or regard man. But Jesus Christ is not going to avenge his own elect because he's afraid not to. And he's not going to avenge his own elect because someone pressured him into doing it. He's going to do it because he said he would. He's going to keep his word. And if he told people not to take vengeance that he would do it, then he's going to. If he told us not to wage war against those who have harmed us because I will, then he will. But he says in verse number 6, the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The parable is about, or the passage is about, not giving up when you're praying. Now think about this. God gives the law. We'll take Israel first, and then we'll take the church. God gives the law in Leviticus chapter 19, don't take vengeance, I will. And then for 30 plus books of the Old Testament... God's people get kicked all over the the map. 
You know, there's people, there are people who prayed for God to fulfill his promise to, to avenge their enemies who have been dead for thousands of years and haven't yet seen the promised answer to their prayers. They're not praying out of the will of God. They're praying in accord with the will of God. They are holding back, they are, they are trusting God to do what he said he would do and they're dead and their grandsons are dead and, they're, and they're answer, the whole genealogical record of their family has lived and died and no vengeance. Now here's the New Testament church, it gets kicked off and the Holy Spirit writes a letter to the Christians at Rome and they spread that letter around, everybody reads it and the Lord says, just do right, just treat them right. Just love them, feed them, clothe them, don't take vengeance, I'll do it. What's well, been a long time since they executed Paul? It's been a long time since those apostles were put to death. That martyr Antipas you read about there in Revelation, uh, early chapters of Revelation, God, God hadn't raised a hand yet to take out the people that did those things to him. When the Lord says to us, I want you to learn something about prayer from a woman who sought promised vengeance and was told to wait. You might wait your lifetime. You might wait your children's children's lifetime. But if what you have prayed is in accord with what God has promised, it's going to happen. Give you my favorite example from the Bible. Book of Job, probably written 1,200, 1,500 or more years before Christ. Job said, oh, that my words, think about this, were printed in a book. 1,400 years after Christ, some guy's looking at a wine press and, say, or, and says, uh, I wonder if I could do with ink what that thing does with olives or grapes. I could just... And old Gutenberg develops a printing press, and 3,000 years later, the Lord turned to Job and said, is that what you asked for? Is that what you wanted? That's a long time to wait for an answer to prayer. But he got it. You know what you have tonight? You have God's words printed in a book. That's an, that's an amazing thing. So let's run some references here. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I didn't finish uh, verse 7. Shall not God avenge his own elect? Uh, that's the Calvinists in the Presbyterian and Baptist churches. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, how do you know? I'll show you. Which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now, here's where people get confused. Jesus never said, I'm coming soon. He repeatedly said, I'm coming quickly, or I'm coming speedily. This is not a reference to the time of his coming, it's a reference to the manner of his coming. When the Lord comes, it will be quick. When the Lord comes, it will be with lightning speed in the blink of an eye. But how soon it happens, we don't know. That quick, 
coming might be a long way off. That speedy return might be many years or decades or centuries away. We don't know. But when he comes, when he comes, it will happen in a hurry. Now, let's go in our Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. There is an elect who is going to avenge an elect. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 and verse number 1. Behold my servant, upon whom, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall not break, and the smoking flax shall not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. Jesus Christ said in the, in the Gospels, that's a reference to me. That's what Jesus said, that, ver that verse about me. And he shall not fail, nor be discouraged, now watch, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will give, uh, keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles." To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So, here's a promise in Isaiah 42, that his elect will come into the world, and he will be a light to the Gentiles, he will execute judgment upon the Gentiles, and he will teach the Gentiles to walk in his ways. The only person that could refer to is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's elect, and he's not God's elect to the, for the nation of Israel, though he is. He is God's elect in Isaiah 42 for all the Gentile nations on the earth. God has chosen that one man to be the Savior of all sinners, first coming, and the ruler of all men, second coming. So he's, he's God's elect. Now, let's go to Isaiah 45. Isaiah chapter 45. And verse number 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings to open for him the two leave gates, and the gates shall not be shut. That's the overthrow by Cyrus of Babylon that you read about in the book of Daniel. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. You ought to read Larkin's uh, description of the, uh, of the iron gates in the city of Babylon and how uh, they, were, they were overthrown and, and conquered. It's great, great writing. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of the secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. 
I am the Lord, there is none else, there is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun from the west, there's, uh, and from the west there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Now, two things. According to Isaiah 45, who is God's elect? Israel and Jacob. What's God going to do? He is going to take Cyrus, a Gentile king, and use Cyrus to overthrow another Gentile king, and then use Cyrus to finance the return of Israel and Judah to the, their land to rebuild their city after 70 years of captivity, because God said they'd be 70 years in Babylon, and then they'd go back and rebuild. They've been in Babylon 70 years, here comes this heathen king to overthrow another heathen king to decree that these, uh, this elect nation gets to go back home and we'll pay for the whole thing. And you know what the Lord said? You're going to do that because I told you to and you don't even know me. I am going to compel you to do what I said I would do to Babylon. I don't need you to believe in me. I don't need you to trust me. I'm going to do it because I said I would. And then I'm going to use the money that you get from overthrowing Babylon to send those people back to rebuild their temple and the walls of their city. And you don't have to know me or believe in me. You're going to do it. You know what that is? That's God avenging his people on Babylon. Everybody see that? Lord avenging his elect. All right, look in Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. It doesn't require belief if God has prophesied something regarding nations. When God prophesies and says he will do something, nobody has to believe it. He's going to do it. Now, if there's things God offers you a chance to participate in, if you believe certain things, you've got to believe them. But he's going to have a rapture whether you believe or not. Now, if you want to be in the rapture, you've got to be a believer. He's going to have a second coming and set up his kingdom whether anybody believes it or not. Take a look at Isaiah 65, and let's start at verse number 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sakes, that I may not destroy them all. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. How about that? So somebody's coming through and saying, you know, we take these grapes and we just, we just crush them, we just smash them. And the Lord said, yeah, but a blessing comes out of it. You get some new wine comes out of that cluster. And so uh, that, uh, the, the nations of the world, they said, well, let's just destroy these people that God's chosen. The Lord said, no, I'm not going to let you destroy all of them because as messed up as they are and as bad as they are and as disappointing as they are and as rebellious and stubborn as they are, I can still squeeze a little something good out of it before I'm through. 
So don't destroy them all. And why did the Lord say that? Because they're my elect. Not because they're any good, not because they have any faith, not because they're obedient. But if God doesn't do it, he is so, he, I can't even say he's a liar. He's not a liar. He would have lied. And he's not going to lie. He's not going to lie. Look in Isaiah 65, verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Now, when's this going to happen? Verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt and destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. So, this awaits the second coming of Christ to establish his millennial kingdom. Isaiah 11, the wolf and the lamb and, and, the, and all the animals lie down together and the nations are all at peace. You know why the Lord's going to do it? Because his elect cried out for vengeance and he said just keep calling just keep crying don't give up well it's been a long time it has been a long time but if I said I'd do it I'll do it now what's the basis of this cry for vengeance while we're in Isaiah look at chapter 61 Isaiah 61 we know this passage about Jesus Christ he went into the synagogue, took that roll of the scripture, read it, didn't correct a single word of it. It wasn't an original, but it was perfect. Rolled it up, put it down, and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Remember that? You must believe the Bible because you weren't there. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> We're over there in 98 1998, and, and we went to Nazareth, and in Nazareth there is a synagogue, and the tour guide, if you believe him, tour guide said this is the only synagogue in Nazareth, and this synagogue has been here since a couple of hundred years B.C. at least, as far as we know. So this is where Jesus attended synagogue when he was growing up, and this is, which is pretty exciting. And, and it's building like this, not near, not near this large, but stone walls, and out of the stone wall was a, was a bench made of stone that went all the way around three sides of the building. And I sat down on the, on the end of that thing, and I just started sliding. And I, I slid all the way down, all the way down, and people started, what are you doing? I said, somewhere in here is where he sat. And before I leave this building, I am going to sit where Jesus sat when he was here in this building. I mean, that, that was really, really exciting. Everywhere else we went, they, the guy said, we don't know where he fed the 5,000. You think they put a sign up? <laughs> I fed 5,000 here. It's, just, it's all just a guess. But that, that place was, was not a guess, and so I, I got in on that. Anyway, Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You see the comma there? When Jesus read this passage, 
in Luke, he stopped there. You know why? Because everything up to there has to do with his first coming. And what comes after there has to do with his second coming. So Jesus reads up to that comma, and he closes the book, and he gives it back, and he says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This is going on now. Why didn't he read the rest of it? Well, take a look. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they should build up the old wastes and so on and so forth. Now, now let, watch why you have to rightly divide the word and you have to believe in a first coming and a second coming of Jesus Christ. Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. If, if the nation of Israel crucifies their Messiah and God sends the Romans in to destroy their city and God persecutes them and scatters them to the ends of the earth, they can still have good tidings preached to them. See that? Wherever, wherever they are. Bind up the brokenhearted. Anybody that will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. They're saved Jews in our congregation. Praise the Lord. And proclaim liberty to the captives. He'll take you out of the hand of the devil and give you to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But look at verse number 2. The day of vengeance of our God to comfort all them that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, give them beauty for ashes. Verse 3, to build the old waste. Listen. That Bible says the gospel goes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When those Jews got saved in Galatia, you know what it did for Jerusalem? Nothing. When those Jews got saved in, in Rome, you know, what, you know what the Roman Empire did? Persecuted them just like they had Christians. There's some great uh, converted Jews preaching the gospel. You can hear them on the radio, you can hear them on the internet. Thank the Lord for it. You know what that's done for that for that. Wasteland, war land over there in the Middle East. Nothing. So either Jesus Christ just promised more than he could, care, could, could uh, fulfill back here in Isaiah, or he's coming again. And if he stopped in the middle of this passage in Isaiah 61, before he got to the part about the vengeance, it doesn't mean that he's not going to avenge his elect. It just means he's not going to do it this side of the rapture, the tribulation, and the second coming. And that's why he gave the warning, do not stop praying to me, do not stop trusting me, do not stop believing what I said, because I'm going to do what I promise. Don't give up on me. Look in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. If I don't say this now, I'll forget to say it later, and, and I want to be sure and, and say it. 
Let me help you with your prayer life. If you pray for things that God has not promised, it's okay. Casting all your care upon Him. It's okay. If you pray for things that aren't spelled out in the Bible, it's okay. He wants us to talk with Him and fellowship with Him and pour out our heart to Him. But do not get angry or bitter or disappointed with the Lord if He doesn't answer your prayers, if you're praying for things He hasn't promised. My, every time my kids were sick, I prayed for God to heal them instantly. And there were times He did miraculously. I'm, I'm, I, could, I could tell you a story, you'd think I was a charismatic. I've seen God miraculously heal my children. And then there's other times He healed them after seven days of a cold or two weeks of a flu or fever and all that just ran its course and the Lord raised them up. He didn't promise to heal my children. But every time they're sick, I ask Him to. Every time my wife rears back, it's going to hit me. I pray, God, God, please. Mercy in her heart. Sometimes He does, sometimes He doesn't. But He, he hasn't promised. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But if you're praying, so here's what I encourage you to do. Find out what God promised and pray for that. Because we ask anything in His name, we know that we have the petitions we desired of Him. It's one thing to go to God in your name and say, God, here's what I want. But it's another thing to go to God and say, God, here's what your son wants. And you might live and die without seeing the answers to those prayers, but you'll never get, or you, you should never get bitter toward the Lord because He said, I, I told you about that judge. Don't stop praying. I will fulfill my promise. Don't give up on me. Don't lose faith in me. All right, let's read this passage. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 and verse number 30, uh, 39. Sure I'm in the right place here. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. And I will make mine arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, and that with the blood of the slain of the captives, from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people. See, his people aren't the nations, but they're all going to rejoice. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Everybody see that? Now, if I read that, if I read that, you know what I'd do? I would expect every time somebody crossed our border for God to take them out. But he didn't say, I'll take them out every time they cross your border. He said, when I'm ready, I will take vengeance. 
Everybody see that? Christ came the first time. And you know what the, the, the apostles said? They weren't out there to, at the grave to celebrate his resurrection. He said, what, what's the matter with you guys? Why weren't you out there? Well, we thought you were going to. We thought you were going to deliver Israel from our enemies. You know why people get all down the dumps and sour on God? Because they just read into what he said what they want him to do. He didn't say when, he just said he would. But you can understand why this woman in Luke 18, and why the people under the altar, Revelation 6, and why Christians in prison and, 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 and concentration camps, you can understand why everybody's taking these verses to God and saying, Lord, you promised vengeance and you told us not to do it. Where is it? In Luke 18, Jesus said, do not lose faith in me. I'm coming. I'm coming. When I'm ready to come. Not when you're ready for me to come. It's hard for me to not see the whole world as people argue. Say, well, you think you know? You think you think the Earth's the center of the universe? You think the sun's the center? You think God's throne's the center? I think I'm the center, and so do you. When one of my loved ones dies, I I wish the rapture had taken place the day before, so we could have all gone to be with the Lord and not have to go to the funeral home. But then, at the funeral, you preach the gospel and somebody gets saved. So, in my world, it had been good to have the rapture a week earlier, but in their world, thank the Lord, he didn't come until I could get saved. So, I want vengeance because I'm suffering. God's elect want vengeance because they're scattered. God's church wants vengeance because they're being persecuted all over the earth. The, the religion of peace, they got another big army going. They're all the way down now. They, took, they killed all those Christians in North Nigeria, now they're down in Central Nigeria, and just killing them by the, by the thousands over there. You don't think those people are praying saying, God, you told us. You told us to call on you for vengeance. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough being in a body that's promised maybe 70 years, praying to a God that's eternal. Because quickly to an eternal God is not the same as quickly to somebody that's trying to make it to 50. Look in your Bible in Jeremiah 46. Jeremiah chapter 46. Verse number 1. The word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Gentiles, against Egypt, and against Pharaoh, Necho Wafers, king of Egypt. I'm surprised. I thought I was the only one who remembered those. They all taste the same except that one's supposed to be chocolate. Close your eyes, you can't tell what color you eat. Some of you say you can. You think you can tell what color the Fruit Loops are when you're eating them. But you... 
Anyway, better not get off track there. <laughs> How many of you have, have never had Nico wafers? Come on. Look at all these kids. And some older people. All right, we'll try to, somebody find some, bring them in. Sneak them in down at St. Peter's. <laughs> That'd be bad. Anyway, all right, I, back, I got to get back on this. Against Egypt, against the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Karchemesh, which Nebuchadnezzar, or Kedrezer, king of Babylon, smote in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Order ye the buckler and shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses and get up, ye horsemen, and stand forth with your helmets, furbish the spears, and put on the brigadines. How many of you have ever put on brigandines? They're harder to find than... Anyway, wherefore, I have seen them dismayed and turned away back, and their mighty ones are beaten down and are fled apace, and look not back, for fear was round about, saith the Lord. Let not the swift flee away, nor the mighty man escape. They shall stumble and fall toward the north by the river Euphrates. Who is this that cometh up as a flood, whose waters are moved as the rivers? Egypt riseth up like a flood, and his waters are moved like the rivers, and he saith, I will go up and will cover the earth. I will destroy the city and the inhabitants thereof. Come up, you horses, and rage, ye chariots, and let the mighty men come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans that handle the shield, and the Lydians that handle and bend the bow. God says, come on, come on, come on, all of you. You, 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 don't, you don't like me? You don't like me? You, don't, you want me to? Come on, come on, bring, bring what you got, put on... Get your horses. Come on, get your weapons. Come on, come on. For this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries, and the sword shall devour, and it shall be satiate and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts hath a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates. How about that? You see why God's people kept thinking He's going to come and kill all the people that are persecuting us. He promised us. He told us. He said He'd do it. And you know what happened? One by one by one by one by one by one by one, the people of God's elect nation stopped believing He would do it. And, and there was a slight reviving after 400 silent years when John the Baptist got them stirred up and Jesus worked all those miracles and they thought, well, well, maybe, maybe, maybe God didn't lie. And then they saw that Messiah hanging on a cross. And except for a tiny, tiny few, most of them just the only thing they think is important about being a Jew is being a Jew. God has nothing to do with it because they don't trust him. He let them down. They're just going to work on finances and medicine. And, and so then you get this church. You heard of the church, New Testament church. 
believing in the rapture. Everybody's looking forward to the Lord coming. Then the second century comes around, they start getting persecuted. Third century comes around, more persecution. Constantine turns the whole thing into a Christmas, Halloween, voodoo, mass, Jesus, Mary, angels, elves, Santa Clauses, fairies. And the church just loses all hope that Jesus Christ is going to come again. Now here's the difference. If the rapture happens tonight, and it will, you've got to have faith or you're not participating. If the second coming of Jesus Christ happens seven years from tonight, whether anybody believes Jesus is coming back or not, he's coming back. If not one Jew anywhere on this earth is looking for his coming, he's coming. If not one Gentile nation believes that this same Jesus so, so come in like manner as you've seen him go, he's going to so come in like manner. The second coming requires no faith because it's promised by God and he'll do it. The vengeance on his enemies who prove themselves his enemies by persecuting his people will be carried out whether his people still believe and hope in his doing so or not. Because heaven and earth will pass away, God's word will not pass away. Now come to Luke 18, Luke chapter 18. So here's what's happened. I, I, I've been reading the last month or so. Uh, Appreciate you praying this, all this brain therapy and stuff. I'm, I'm able to read a lot more again and making sense again, clear again. Praise God. It's a blessing. We read a lot about the history of how these different denominations just went into apostasy. And so many of them, and it's, it's, happening, it's happening in these decades in the independent Baptist churches. These groups all get excited about the Lord coming and then they let some of their extremists set dates for the Lord's coming. And then the Lord doesn't come when they thought he was going to come. And they start getting all wrapped up in politics or the world or making money. Same mistake the Jews made. You had all these independent Baptist guys setting dates for the rapture in the 70s and the 80s and, and, and for some reason their churches got all excited and believed it and then the rapture didn't happen and by the late 80s they're all trying to get conservatives elected to Congress. If you think the Lord disappointed you when he didn't come when you thought he was going to come, you'll just keep saying nice things about him but you'll start living like he's not coming. And that's what's happened in our churches. You go to the average independent Baptist church on a Sunday night service, Sunday morning still can, but Sunday night service, midweek service, you'll hear more about stuff they got off a of Drudge Report or Fox News than you will out of what they got out of the Bible. And as soon as church is over, the people are all talking about Trump this and Pelosi that, Trump this, Pelosi that. They used to be talking about Jesus coming and winning souls. I'm not disappointed the Lord hadn't come yet. He didn't say when he was coming. He said he was coming. I'm as excited about it tonight. Man, I, I, I just always thought it'd be so cool if these, these idiots with these uh, master's degrees in meteorology are pretending on their radar. They're, we're tracking a sleigh from the North Pole. 
And right in the middle of that thing, Jesus descends. And they, and they watch the rapture on their radars, and all the lost people are saying, what was that? That'd, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? It's not a sleigh, it's, a, it's like a man. <laughs> he just, he's just coming down. And, <laughs> woo-hoo. That'd, be, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? People say we're crazy, and they sit and watch a, a weatherman. Here comes a sleigh. It's, 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 over, it's over Canada. You're lying. You know you're lying. But they don't lose hope. Next year, they get all cranked up again. I heard on the radio, I was telling uh, Brother Fry and Brother, Brother Brown, I, I'm, I'm driving in this morning on the radio, and I'm having this football game in Orlando, and Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, that's a great name for a college team. You know, the IRA blowing up restaurants and stuff. You know, the Fighting Irish. Anyway, uh, so they're playing a football game down there. And you know, what they, they, you know what they did for these 18 to 22-year-old, 450-pound bench-pressing college students who play football? Yesterday they got to have lunch with Santa Claus. Wouldn't you think a bunch of football-playing college students would tap somebody on the shoulder and say, you know, it's been a long time since we believed in that. It's... Unless Santa's going to play off our student loans, we really, don't, we really don't want to see him around here. We haven't lost our confidence in the Lord because we believe he's going to do what he said. You'll lose confidence in the Lord if you add to what he said your timetable or your conditions. Well, let's go back to Luke 18 and finish up here. Verse 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. You keep praying right through, right through, one George Bush and then another. You keep praying right through, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. You keep praying right through, Donald Trump and then Hillary, the next president. Oh, oh no, the Lord wouldn't let that happen. See what I mean? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. We stop praying because God let us down. He only let you down if you were hoping for things He never promised. Saying, there was in a city a judge judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. You know this, a judge, power, money, nice dinners, influence, do whatever he wants. He don't owe this widow anything. He doesn't have to do a thing for her. I mean, a, a widow in Jesus' time? It's a miracle she even got, got close enough for him to hear her voice. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God and regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. 
The Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect? Yes, as he said he would, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. What's the message? Don't give up on God because he hasn't done it as fast as you want him to. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now this is an interesting thing. Because if the rapture happens tonight, everybody that believed God is going up. That really doesn't leave any faith on the earth, does it? The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, if you've heard the truth and rejected it, you're doomed. You miss that rapture, you're doomed. But then Revelation starts out by telling us of thousands and thousands of people being saved, which means there's a lot of people in this old world who have not heard the truth and will not have rejected it, though they miss the rapture. Let's suppose all of them are martyred. Let's suppose all of them are killed. Let's suppose, as we believe the Bible teaches in Revelation 11, the two witnesses are caught up to be with the Lord. We see these, these martyrs waiting, 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 and then, then we look later in the tribulation, and there they are around the throne of God. Let's say God, a second time, close the tribulation, takes out all those that have believed on him. However you look at that thing, there aren't going to be enough people left on the earth who believe in the second coming of Christ by the end of that great tribulation to influence anything. You know why he's going to get on that white horse and ride down here and destroy his enemies in the Valley of Megiddo? Because he said he would. You know why he's going to land on the Mount of Olives and ride through that eastern gate and sit on that throne of David? Because he said he would. Here's the difference between the rapture and the second coming. Rapture, you've got to believe to participate. Second coming, he's just coming. If he finds faith on the earth, he'll reward it. But if he finds no faith on the earth, it's not going to stop him from doing what he said he'd do. Amen. Don't set a date. Don't set a date. But live as though it could be today. If it's not, don't be disappointed. You're one day closer. One day closer when you first believed. All right, Father, thank you for the Bible. Uh, help us, Lord, sort these things out. Stand on them. Believe them. Not be troubled and upset by the things this world is doing. Lord, you'll settle it all. You'll settle it right. In the meantime, help us to win some people to Jesus Christ so they can escape this wrath that is to come. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed.